0: IEC 62471 is the thing to look for, and global market, it tends, people are going to tend to want to sell in not just the U.S., but also Europe and at that point. You've got to obtain your CE mark. So again, like I said, there's risk in getting out of bed in the morning. There's risk in not getting out of bed in the morning. You try to go buy a so-called safe car, but then a few years later, there's a recall because they found something. Nothing's perfect, and we can't make everything perfectly safe but work with credible actors and people you trust
1: always
0: ask why
1: your friend in the last industry. Coming to you from the City of Roses, this is the broadcast by Last Professionals and for Last Professionals. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Today we have part two. We're bringing back Todd Harris for the second half of the interview. Actually, we recorded these two different times. And as I said in the early part of last episode, Basically, after we got done, Todd's like, I really feel like I need to say a few more things. So he's going to say a few more things and we're going to cover some other stuff. So I really think you'll get a lot from that. But before we get into that, let's get right away into it. Let's get into some announcements. (laughs) All right. What do we have going on? Well, we have LashCon tickets coming up in the month. March 26th, that will be the day when you can secure your ticket. By the way, VIP tickets are almost, I think we're about halfway sold out So from our previous sale that we did during the fall right after LashCon. So if you want to get your VIP, start planning now, and there will be a six-month payment plan. So you can really spread it out right up to basically where you pay it through August or September, and then you come to LashCon. It'll be awesome. Be in Anaheim as it was last year, October 11th through the 14th. Also, we have Tuscany's Retention class that's going to be taught in Kansas City on April 13th, 14th. We have two spots, and I should, hopefully by the time this is on the air, have that link set up so you can go buy that tickets as soon as possible. So if you're a Clubhouse member, you save $200. It's only $1,500, and this most likely will be the very last time we do the class where it's two days. We're going to a one-day class where you watch half of it online, and then you do an in-person training after that. IBS Is this coming weekend, guys. If you're going to be in New York, we'd love to see you. Come and uh, hang out or hunt us down. We're going to be walking the floor at least two of the days. It's there for three days. We're going to be there Sunday and for sure Tuesday, Monday. We might do some other business in the city itself. Lashboss Summit, April 26th, 27th. Go buy your tickets and hang out with us, Shelby, an amazing lineup of people. We'd love to see you there. Oh, Lashcast, our clubhouse, the Lash Cast Clubhouse. We're delaying the relaunch. We do, we're going to do it in March, but we're just so busy with Lashcon. We're going to push the Lash Cast Clubhouse launch to April 8th. So mark your calendar if you want to get in and be part of that's coming up in April. And then let's see what else. That's it. That's all we have for announcements. Great. So let's now get back to Todd Harris. Now, Todd Harris has a PhD in physics. He works at triple ring technologies. He works with lights, lasers, and all that type of stuff. He's truly, of all the speakers we have, are all amazing, but he's the one that is, I would say, is the premium expert when it comes to this type of technology, and it's actually why we have him on this episode first, because we thought, we'll start with him, he's going to set a lot of the, you know, I guess, he's going to set the table straight, let us know what we need to be tracked, what we need to know. By the way, we did re-record a couple episodes after we met with him, but not all of them, so just forgive yeah. us in the future, if you listen to episodes go, man, this sounds like Paul and Tush don't know what they're talking about, it's because we don't all right it's not because we were ignorant we, we were ignorant it's not because we didn't want to we just didn't know and then we met with todd and we learned a lot more stuff and then we went and we just didn't want to record everything so you'll learn with us and and now you will feel hopefully when this is all done equipped and ready to make a decision for you if this is something you want to do because this is all the rage it seems like everyone is talking about it now so and we're really excited about bringing todd part two to you and so let's get to that interview
2: Smart Cookies. So excited to welcome back to our program, the famous Todd Harris from Triple Ring Technologies. Thank you. Welcome to the show, Todd.
0: Oh, I wouldn't go with famous. I, don't, I think that's an overstatement. Yeah. But then, well, I quite, think it's a big that. deal. In the would, last world, would, you'll be famous. In the last
2: world, you are famous. The be famous. Yes. Okay. yes, because you possess a very unique skill set. And we've had you on the show before to talk about the safety, the efficacy of LED and UV lights. And you really were the one that helped us give us that foundation for the questions that we need to ask and just getting the lay of the land. And so the first interview that we had was super informative and we had some follow-up questions. So thank you so much for and being Todd here. And Todd actually
1: emailed me right afterwards. I think I have some more things I'd like to bring to light. Yes. And, and say, yes, if we get Todd back on again, that would be very exciting. So we're really glad to have you back and we'll go a little bit more in depth. I just want I thought I'd review just three things that we were telling last year they need to know when they're looking at these devices and these, we're talking about UV UV light curing devices. devices, There were three things that they, you mentioned wavelength irradiance and exposure time to light. Those were like the three pillars to consider, but that wasn't enough. When we came to the conclusion at the end is that, well, there's a lot more variables within that to be able to determine whether something's safe or not.
0: There are. Yeah. And really, I think also safe or not is the place where you'd like to be driving towards right? But with anything else, it's really more of a risk assessment, right? With anything in life, there's a risk of not getting out of bed in the morning. There's a risk of getting out of bed in the morning. I think so every day. (laughs) Right? With anything that any consumer goes out in the marketplace and goes and buys, they need to try to evaluate their risk tolerance and their own individual circumstances to figure it out. But with things where there's a lot of technology involved and you can't expect people to be walking around with radiometers in their pocket and go and actually measure things themselves, how does one know? There are some government organizations in place and there are some some standards organizations in place and testing houses and things like that that all kind of form an ecosystem of businesses that hopefully drive us towards a situation where it's easier for consumers to make an informed choice.
1: And I think that leads us perfectly into one of the discoveries you found that was really helpful for people as far as one of the things that we look for on device that would say there has been that due diligence done to make sure that the testing. device has been tested
0: and made certain standards, right? That's right. And so there's the standard, the main standard that applies here when we're talking about biological effects, possible you know, tissue damage from products with LEDs in them.
2: Like at the exposure. Are-
0: Right, ladies, is IE 62471 standards. And they and they're, it's not only the IEC, but it, there's a couple of other, like there's an Estonian version and there's some others. But if you see the numbers 62471 certified according to 6 or tested or exempt under 62471, I think you can be rest assured that as long as the, the device is being used in the way that it was intended, in other words, the actual operator is following the instructions for use, then you can have, I think, a lot of assurance that the, I won't go as far as saying it's safe, but that the risk of injury has been determined to be sufficiently low that nobody's asking you to label it as, oh, better watch out.
1: Yeah, like a laser or something like that, where you have a lot more warnings or, or specific uses that could do yeah. damaging.
2: Well, one of the right. our other consultants that we, has been advising us on this, his name is Dr. Warren Stout, and uh, he uses lasers in his practice on the eye. He went through a deep dive on the medical literature on damage from LED and UV light in the past five years in his with his access, and he couldn't find... Anything. Any reports on it? Anything.
1: Medically reported situations where someone was using these lights and got damaged or injured in the way they had to go to the hospital and be treated. There was no known cases of that. So that was actually very encouraging to find. One thing I want to simplify, see if I can simplify this even more because I know people are going to go, okay, so there's this weird IEC. If they could find the numbers, where would they look for this? I'm guessing this is in the paperwork. Like we submitted to you some paperwork from a company that does a product that does this. And so, they had two certificates they sent us and then two reports on the certificates. Is it in there where it would just say that if they could just look for those numbers, six, two, four, seven, one, then they're probably, if they're listening, were listing it, would they only listed because it passed or were they also list like failed six, two, four, seven, one.
0: Okay. So a, de- a device maker isn't going to advertise their device as it failed. 6- okay. 6- yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they were going to take, if they, if they were sufficiently astute to realize that, IEC 62471 applies to their product, that they should engineer it so that it would pass testing and that they spent the money to go have it tested. Maybe they had to do a couple rounds of that and refine the, the device until it did pass. But boy, if they put all that effort in and spent all that money and time to get it to the point where it does become in a so-called exempt product under 62471, if you've got it flaunted, right? They should put that out there to the world in some way to give people assurance, to give potential customers an assurance that they know what they're doing and they did it right. And then similarly, like we were discussing just before we started taping, that a CE marking is probably just about as good as well, simply because the CE marking process for all LED-based products sold in Europe, they have to be certified certified. To, to 62471.
2: And that's really cool. I love that. That's, we're familiar with that. I think- You
0: see CE on last, CE, I see that, it's yeah. Like, isn't
2: it similar to UL?
0: So UL is one of those independent testing laboratories that actually was and maybe still is somewhat in the in the standards writing business as well. But what we were just talking about was like the European jurisdiction, the EU as a marketplace and the kinds of governments mandated restrictions on commerce that they have in place. Whereas here in the United States, by contrast, while product safety is controlled by federal regulations, which are enforced by the FDA, e-based products don't show up anywhere in the federal regulations. 21 CFR 1040.10 and 1040.20 cover lasers, and it used to be in the old days that there was a standard where lasers and LEDs were lumped into the same category. But then as time went on, you know, people began to realize, oh, well, lasers sort of photon for photon, all else being equal, lasers are, tend to be more hazardous than LEDs. And so at some point they were divorced, but I think from each other in a way, but in in, in a way, the U.S. as a marketplace doesn't impose the same level of stringency that the European Union does with CE marking and so forth.
2: So in a nutshell, CE is, it's like a higher standard. If you see that marking, then you can... Bring- or you,
1: you ask for it from... you. A lot, most of these uh, manufacturers or distributors should be willing to share the documentation. It may not the full detailed reports because I got the report and I, I have no idea what this report's about. But the certificate yeah, yeah. was helpful. Like, I look at that and I could probably see the CE marking and I'll probably I would assume we see the 62471 would be on there and be like, okay, as long as for my simple brain, I can sign and see that. And I trust that these are respectable companies that aren't just making fake sheets and all that, and just putting labels on them. Then we know that this stuff has been done.
0: And I think when you go to an independent third party, who doesn't have a stake in the game, you don't have to to worry about like a conflict of interest or something like that. It's an independent testing house, they're being paid to do testing according to a certain standard as i read that 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 test report that you sent over i saw that they had to make some judgment calls along the way based on the intended use versus what the standard says because it's an un, it's an unusual situation that someone would have this light source that close to their face what the standard is written based on is well if somebody has if somebody is approaching this light source and their eyes are focusing on it they would only be able to form an image as we were just discussing before you started reporting they would only be able to form a, a sharp image on their retina so close to it, to like about 200 millimeters like away, like inches. inches away. Whereas some of these devices, when you're getting in really close, I'm guessing I've never glued a patch on anybody. <laughs> it's
2: close. You're <laughs> yeah. getting close. But you're
0: getting in pretty close. Yeah, like four inches. So there's that difference between what the standards say and how you're supposed to measure things. So a judgment call has to be made, but it was a reasonable judgment call. And then in addition to that, it was interesting because they were testing it to in that report they were testing for blue light retinal hazard and i'm assuming correct me if i'm wrong that during a a a procedure your client has their eyelids closed
2: absolutely the yeah. eyes are closed the eyes are closed and the light is just being focused on the lash line so the eye is, the tissue is not exposed ideally
0: yeah ideally and and of course obviously sometimes you you get a client who will open their eyes, open their eyelids at an unexpected moment, and you'd obviously like to have a situation where uh, the person applying the lashes, the lasher, is that the terminology? The lash technician artist. The lash technician artist is, if the light is on, can turn it off quickly. So that goes to how the product is engineered. Does it have a quick enough response time to turn itself off, right?
2: Yeah, I have a question about that. So usually it's just a foot pedal or a finger press, and and so the light can come off immediately, or you can move it. But generally, sometimes the eye can be exposed a little bit because sometimes the client, the the eye doesn't fully close all the way. Sometimes lash artists will use tape. So there's a little bit of exposure, but usually it's just the very bottom of the sclera and not like the iris or we're concerned about the light hurting the retina. It's usually not that. It's usually just the very bottom of the sclera. So when you're looking for retina damage, does that count if it's exposed there?
0: I would venture to say that it it, it it wouldn't count. If your client says, oh, I can actually see blue light and I can actually see the source, so then yeah, clearly it's forming an image on their retina because they, they can see it. So, so maybe part of your process is if at any point you, you can see this thing, you need to let me know. Yeah.
2: What about what just seeing the light? Just like if your eyes are closed and you turn on the light, you can tell that there's light in the room. Sometimes you can tell that there's light there. Is that the same kind of seeing the
0: going light? Through
2: the, going through is
0: it going lid? through the lid? or it... Going through the lid. If it's going through the lid, skin and the underlying tissue is very diffusive. In other words, it, it, it the as the light goes through, it rattles around inside there. And of course, you can't. Obviously, if you close your own eyes, you can do this test. Just earlier, you were putting your hands out in front of you, about eight inches away. Close your eyes. Can you see a? Can you see a clear image of anything? Well, no. No, it's,
2: your eyes are closed.
0: <laughs> so, so that says right there that you're not going to form a sharp image. And so, the hazard, any hazard that might be there, is dr- dramatically
2: diminished. Very good. So, this conversation just brings it to the next question. There are these things that are like UV stickers that people can use. They sell them for sunscreen protection for children, or just if you're cautious about the sun, you stick it on your skin and you put sunscreen over it. And when the sunscreen apparently has worn out or, or it's gotten enough UV, the sticker will turn a different color. And I asked, the question pose the question to you could you use those kinds of stickers or products to determine if the eye if the if there's UV light that's penetrating or damaging or, or could those be exposure
0: time limit maybe or something like that? Uh right. So so yeah I, I looked into those a little bit and it seemed that they take on a purple hue when they're exposed to UV and then when you take them out of the UV they go back to clear again. And you take them back into the UV and they go to purple again, which means it reverts. And so in that sense, it's not acting as an aggregating dosimeter. In other words, it's not telling you in any kind of of quantitative fashion how much dose has been received in aggregate because it it keeps reversing back and forth. You take it into the UV, it turns purple. Take it out of the UV, it turns clear again or colorless again. I can tell you in that regard the presence of UV at some certain level, um, which I don't know because the manufacturer didn't say anything quantitative about well, in the presence of how many over how some number of milliwatts per square centimeter, it'll change to this color, right? It's more of a quali- a qualitative measure. And it's not a measure that allows you to, say, make any statement about the aggregate dose receipt. So in that regard, it's a good it's a good indicator. but I wouldn't rely on it like that to to determine whether certainly compared to the six two four seven one standards, right.
2: Yeah, it's, it's novel it. can, or me We giving print it. them,
1: like a 62471 standard sticker that we make <laughs> yes. that measures the, light. the radiance yes. and light and all that stuff. Uh,
2: okay, I just thought, yeah. the reason why is because I'd seen somebody use this kind of sticker for light hair extensions, because they're using the UV curing light now for hair extensions. And somebody thought, oh, I'm just going to put the sticker here, I'm going to show you, it doesn't even turn, and apparently it didn't really turn colors or anything. So they're saying, therefore... there's no uv or say if it does turn it's gonna freak them
1: out like oh my gosh i just got irradiated or, yeah no. <laughs> anyway i just thought
2: well let's ask the the famous todd harris
1: yeah i have another thought that we didn't bring up last time on our question because i've seen some people ask this because some brands and i think these are more brands that come from asia require or require or say you should wear a glasses that Will help block. tinted tinted glasses uh, the, to help protect your eyes,
2: like a yellow tint color that's yeah. supposed to, like when you go to the dentist and they use the light curing adhesive. Yeah, they wear those to,
1: orange ones. They say, "Don't worry, I'm going to the other room." Oh, right no, now. that's the
2: X-ray. <laughs> so some of these systems will come with a, a light kit glasses or like patches that you're supposed to put over the eye to yeah. to protect the skin.
1: Guess, yes, too. Yeah, there's one to put patches on like an eye patch and there's other ones like glasses that they wear for the lash artists while they're working Lash artist, right yeah so i was wondering what your thoughts on those two things right
0: so so um so so those those uh glasses that are that they recommend or author for the lash artist yeah they're probably like you say they're yellow in color they're orange in color there there's blue blocker goggles out there and in fact There are blue blocker goggles out there for a lot of different purposes. Certainly, they're out there for working with UV curing materials. And if you read some of the safety stuff that's associated with UV curing materials, if you go buy them, they will have these recommendations. Oh, you should probably use these things. And they have full face shields that are like this too. And here, another standard applies. So if you're going to be getting eye protection as somebody who's applying these things, which, of course, You're, of course, exposing yourself to scattered light from off the eyelids of of your client over and over and over and over again. And if you have concerns about that, it's easy to just buy these glasses. And the ones to look for are ones that are tested against an ANSI standard, and it's ANSI Z87.1 is the one you care about there. Z87.1, okay. The Z87.1 is the standard you care about for... Glasses. Uh, eye protection. Yeah, for, for the eye protection for, for UV. Um, and there are some folks who, because of sleep problems, will actually wear those very same goggles because they block the blue light that messes up your circadian rhythms and gives you sleep problems.
2: You can even get the coating on your lenses, the upgrade when that's you're right. choosing them, blue blocker for if you're on the computer or, or a lot. Back in or... the
1: 90s, blue blockers had late night yeah. television ads going everywhere. I remember seeing everywhere you yeah. go, the late night television, get your blue blockers, and they were the most ugly glasses that you would put on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. I'd I rather not sleep. So so that's cool. So it, w- it could be a useful thing if, you, if there's a concern there to, to say, look, you can buy the glasses, and if, as long as you see them with, meeting that standard of ANSI, two, tw- tw- yeah. 27.1. Uh, you are good. You can wear those and those will actually assist you as far as, is there damage that could happen or is there just more, tire- what would be the downside? I guess of not wearing those.
0: Well, so it's like the same kind of effect as the radiologist who runs the x-ray machine all day, right? And I'm not saying that UV and x-ray are, are, are the same thing here. It's just the, the same dynamic where somebody who works in an environment with that eight hours a day, five days a week, and wants to protect themselves against a, a potential cumulative effect, which has maybe not been as well tested. What's the harm in that other than maybe clients get the perception, well, of well, why are you protecting yourself against <laughs> Yeah. Right, right. And which I can understand. I can understand. But it's a different situation if you're going in for a, a treatment or a lash attachment and you're there for just some period of time. Versus, versus somebody who's doing it all day, every day.
1: Because one of the things we've noticed with Tuss is that since she started using these lights, is her eyes tend to be a little more dry. And I was wondering if that's a side effect. Partially, it
2: could be because anybody of a certain age gets dry <laughs> eyes at this uh, point, stage in the game. Yeah. And it could also be because my eyes are open a little bit more. I use loops. It just. It could be many things. Like, yeah. uh, but- yeah.
1: Or if there's any connection there possibly with that that you've heard of.
0: I suppose it's possible, but I think they just made a good point about the fact that she's her eyes are part of the tools for her job. And in order to really focus on getting the lash in the right place and the glue and applied and, and the cheering light might be just not blinking enough. Right. Blinking as much as you normally would because you're just you're concentrating on a task and that, that requires very good visual acuity and aiming things and coordinating with your hands and so forth.
2: And when you don't blink all that much, you it's a disturbance for the tear film. And that tear film keeps that oh. the surface of the eye hydrated and it makes it so the eye works better. <laughs> Yeah. So we sent over some of the paperwork from one of the manufacturers, and right. you looked at it. And you said if they have given, they have gone through the trouble of a third-party testing, and they've also accounted for the variations or variables. Or even tested it against another product. It's a pretty good indication that they've done things the right way.
0: That's a fair statement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so one of the documents was an actual certificate that said that their device had passed was exempt under 16471 and the actual test report was another one of the documents. And I was able to dive into that and look through it carefully. And there, if you look through it, you would have seen that there were certain variations of the, the device. They call the B device where the versions of it to the testing house, two of them failed and two of them passed. And that could be a situation I'm going to, you know, just give the benefit of the doubt. That might've been a situation where this device maker had, um, come up with different versions of this device and wanted to actually know, um, yeah. you know which one, because there might've been trade-offs that they were trying to make. Oh, okay, well this one cures much faster and I'm able to do a procedure faster. Okay. Oh, but it failed. I can't do that now, right? So then I, I guess my, my assumption is, and I don't know whether this is true or not, but my assumption is that whatever version of whatever device in that report passed is what is on the market because they're they've got that certificate that says so and and but and like 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 we discussed in your in 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 the the prior round of this interview it does come back to the people involved right when you get right down to it um, can you trust (laughs) there are bad actors out there in the world Mm -hmm. you know and it, it's a good sign. It's a good sign that they employed an independent testing house again, who does, who, who presumably has no conflict of interest on it, who's just going to give you their honest opinion after testing with appropriate equipment um, that's been properly calibrated. It's NIST traceable, so that I think that that at that point you can have a lot of confidence that they did the right thing, and that as long as the thing is being used according to the instructions for use. Which correspond to the way it was tested, that you, you should have a an acceptable, I'll call it an acceptably low risk. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: it's not and, like they're like in their basement trying to like make it into a bomb or so, something like that. Obviously, <laughs> but can you also sum up what you discovered about? I know we already talked about the CE sticker certification because I thought that was refreshing.
0: Yeah, so it turns out that any products in sold in Europe that have LEDs in them. In order to obtain a CE marking, they have to be actually be certified to the the six two four seven one standard, be it the EN or the EVS version or the IEC version. There's a but kind of the same standard almost, but from different organizations, and they're similar enough that if you see the letter the the, or the numbers rather six two four seven one, it it just means photobiological safety lamps and lamp systems, and it applies to LEDs. So if you're buying a product or using a product that has LEDs in it and it has a CE mark, know that according to the European Union, it had to have been certified for safety for those LEDs that are in it. Now, as is true with these sorts of things, it's up to the manufacturer to identify the relevant standards that apply to their product, be it electrical or mechanical or light-based or whatever, them to identify what standards to apply, to design it appropriately, and then they basically have to make a declaration of conformity in the user's manual. And there's a national enforcement organization, such as the Trade Standards Organization in the UK, whose job is to de- detect when there's non-conformances to these standards, detect when something is CE marked but shouldn't be. And of course, like anything else, you got there's, there's a lot of products on the market and Nobody has the time to check them all.
2: Like an <laughs> inspector, like does so, it pass the muster? So, yeah. so we're a bit back,
0: back to there are no guarantees in life, but knowing that those safeguards are in place and that there's somebody watching over the whole thing, is it's good to know. Exactly.
1: And I think for people going back to looking at this, I think you should ask. These companies for a certificate, so that at least you can see something. Now, like of if you course, gotta they, can, it, they right? Yeah, I mean, that, yes, they can make up fake ones, but again, you you got half, once you get to know a lot of the companies we dealt with, I feel like they all have integrity and they they really are wanting to do the right thing. They sense, they're just doing a quick buck here, and two years are out of this business and made their millions. Like they want to do this. This is their career. This is their industry. This is their business. Yeah. That's right.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, if they if they want to repeat customers and and they want to build a name for themselves. You know, there's a right way to do things and there's wrong ways to do things, Exactly, right?
1: yeah. And so, hopefully, you're looking for that CE. Look for that six two four seven one. Does ANSI? I forget. Maybe we maybe mentioned this last time, but does ANSI have a stamp that they put, or is that just the standard? And the two six two four seven one is actually what means it meets the ANSI standard.
0: Well, so 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 there's a separate ANSI standard. And it's RP twenty seven, and because it's ANSI, meaning American National Standards Institute, it's, I can't really say that it only applies, but it's been superseded in the world by IEC 62471. And it would be a rare, I think it would be a rare circumstance where you would see, or it would be a really old product probably, where they they said it, it was tested to ANSI RP27 standards and Found to be exempt or whatever.
2: So you'd find that in a museum somewhere.
0: (laughs) You might find that. You might, exactly, you might find that in a Lash Artist Museum somewhere. Yes. Uh (laughs) Right in the front entryway.
1: No one will have any idea what it's about, but we will. We'll know what it is.
0: That's right. So yeah, IEC 62471 is the thing to look for. And or
1: the CE stamp, it seems like that's another. For a, for a C. Most companies make stuff for the world now, right? If you're going to manufacture it for the United States, they're doing it for Europe too. So they're going to get the CE stamp. That's certainly true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, global market, it tends people are going to tend to want to sell in not just the U.S., but also Europe at that point. You've got to obtain your CE mark.
1: Exactly. So that's why I think both of those. So that's that, for me, hopefully, with all that we've done, maybe that's the simplest takeaway. takeaway. That might
0: be the simplest takeaway. So again, like I said, there's risk in getting out of bed in the morning. There's risk in not getting out of bed in the morning. You try to go buy a so-called safe car, but then a few years later, there's a recall because they found something. Nothing's perfect, and we can't make everything perfectly safe, but... Work with credible actors and people you trust.
1: Yeah, good just good. so you could go real deep down that rabbit hole So start thinking about restaurants like hoping that food is prepared the way it makes it not or safe or that the person didn't just like wipe their hands over their nose and cook with the food like you, you really a million ways can go. It's trust. On this. You're really, you really trust. To-
2: You've got the letter grades out front. You got re- recommendations yeah. and reviews and stuff like that. You have to use your best judgment. But there are tools and guardrails yeah. that can help us with that.
1: And reputation is something to look at too online. Just look at what their reviews are. People do write reviews. And if you're seeing a company that is a little shaky and shady, shady. They, they'll probably have bad reviews uh, infir- affirming those uh, feelings that you might be getting as you look at their products. Yeah, I mean,
0: with any, with any, like with anything else, buyer beware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs>
2: yeah. I'm just super thankful that you sh- were able to share your expertise with us because we didn't know we didn't know what we didn't know and you've definitely equipped us you've definitely i think are going to do a great part for equipping the lash industry because you're an authority on this subject
1: and we have no clue on this stuff to be honest it's like learning their language so
0: no, you actually asked great questions. And it was, I learned a lot in the process too. And I really enjoyed the time. So. Oh,
1: great. Well, when Good. you're down here in LA, get your lashes with Todd. Yeah. <laughs>
2: when you're walking at LashCon, everyone's going to point and go, look, there's the famous Todd Harris. Right. <laughs> yes.
1: So awesome. So, thank, well, thank, you, thank you, my you. friend. It's been a pleasure having you back again. And been who knows, maybe. a pleasure,
0: maybe... Been a pleasure <laughs> speaking to both of you as well.
1: Yeah. Well, and by the way, if we get more questions after the series, we may have to have you come back and say, oh my gosh, we have 18 more questions from our listeners. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's Todd time. Well, yeah. We'll have our Todd weekly talk so so thank you so much
0: okay well you're welcome
1: hey guys we're done that's it that's a wrap we are out of here thank you so much for coming out and hanging out with us today please follow us on instagram at LastCast and at the last conference and remember to subscribe share and review and please tell your friends about this series this is the first time we've ever done like an in-depth dive on any topic and we would love to see a lot more people engage on this, see if it's something that's helpful, useful, being that really, I think everyone's talking about UV and I feel like there's a lot of misinformation currently going on out there. This will hopefully help people be better educated to talk about this and make a decision for themselves. And hopefully we'll do more stuff like this. Maybe there'll be other topics. You're like, hey, can you do a deep dive on this? Because we love, I mean, especially Tuss, as you know, she is a last nerd at heart she loves talking to people about these topics and going deep on this stuff. So if this is something that you really dug or really love, please share with your friends and let us know too. Repost on Instagram. Get it out there. Let the world know. On behalf of my Lash LED Tustanyi, as well as our special guest, Todd, I want to thank you for taking some time to listen. Keep on lashing. And remember, you have a friend in the lash industry.